Thank you, Keisha. Good morning, everybody. I know I kill y'all with this noise, especially folks doing audio back there. My apologies for taking this thing off when I get here after I turn my mic on. Anyway, so glad that you are here. Welcome, everybody. Those of you who may be here for the very first time, especially we welcome you. And uh, those of you who are meeting for the very first time, thank you all for coming and introducing yourselves uh, to me. I'm new, too, so <laughs> we're getting to know each other. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity. We just pray that you would be here with us, that you would move in power, that you would allow us to meet you in a tangible way through our souls, through our minds, through our feelings, through our experience, through a, a, a spiritual renewal. We pray that you would bless, that you would move in mighty power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have you ever had to work with a team, any kind of team. Maybe it was at your job. Maybe it was in school you had to work with some schoolmates. Maybe you were a part of a sports team or maybe something here in ministry. Most of us have worked with a team before. You see, teamwork is a gift. It's really important to have teamwork because everyone's load is reduced in a team environment. It makes our work a lot more enjoyable when we're working with the team, doesn't it? But if there's a lack of a common goal, if, if there's a lack of direction, if there's a, a lack of vision, if there's no one uh, uh, casting vision or telling us, hey, this is the end result, this is what we're marching toward, then the work can become burdensome. It could feel like I'm the only one doing my part. It feels like I'm the only one shouldering the load. We all have felt that at one point or another. Right? And discord can set in. We could become you know, disunited in our teamwork when there's no proper vision, when there's no end goal. Let me tell you about a time when I had to work with a team. You see, I was uh, in graduate school at Syracuse University. I was taking a course, uh, and our final project, we had to work with a team of students. We worked all together to write a final paper. We had to do some research. And so I volunteered with a communications background. I volunteered to be the editor of this paper, this research. And I said, I can compile it together, make it sound like one voice. I'm, I'm reading through. And uh, so a week before it was done, uh, uh, ready to go, uh, we had everybody submitted their work to me. And I'm going through, I'm, I'm editing, I'm reading through. And I got to a place that was a little difficult. This place that, that the writing was a little more academic than I think that any of us were capable of. So, so I, I went through and I, I copied some of the, the paragraphs and posted them in Google. And, and lo and behold, it was just plagiarized. It, it was just completely plagiarized. The entire research from this one person was completely somebody else's research. And, and so I went to this person individually and I said, hey, you know, do, do you know about plagiarism? Do, do you know what that means? I, I, you know, I want to start at the basics, right? And, and, and she got mad at me. I probably shouldn't say she because I don't know. Y'all might figure out, y'all don't know me or my background, so I'm telling all my business. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm having this conversation with her, and she's getting back at me, blaming me for, for uh, uh, discrediting her research. And I'm like, 
but I put it in Google. It's right there. Like, this is not your research. So we, ha- we had it out. We had it out. I brought the rest of the team in. And, and uh, you, some of the team sided with me. And they said, hey, let's kick her out of the group. Why don't we just tell the teacher, right, that she plagiarized. She needs to do her own thing. And some of the group members had more sympathy on her. They were like, no, 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 let her stay in the group. And so we're at odds. Everybody on the team chose sides. And now we have a team full of uh, uh, discord, a team that uh, was, was divided, a team that was in challenge, right? And remember, the work is due in one week. What were we to do in a situation like that? You see, division is one of the challenges that you and I face today. We face division uh, in our culture. We face division in our country. We face division in our communities. And worst of all, we face division in our churches. It's seemingly impossible to defeat division these days, especially in an era of partisan politics, in an era of cable news, in an era of uncredible internet trolls. Have you experienced an internet troll? Anybody been trolled online? Okay, maybe you're internet trolls. Don't tell me. That's all right. You ain't got to tell me. You ain't got to tell me. I'll find out when I post something controversial online. I'll find out who the trolls are. But all of our lives would be improved if we dedicated it toward unity. If we made a greater focus on being a complex whole, if we dedicated ourselves to one common purpose and moved toward meeting that common goal. You see, unity is what we all bring to the table. Unity is aiming for the same goal collectively, even though we are serving in diverse capacities. As followers of Christ, we have a goal. We all have a goal. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ gives us that goal in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. I'll just quote a little part of it, but he says, go. He tells all believers, right, to Verb, action, go, not stay, not be comfortable, not not sit down in the four walls of a church. That's not what he told us. He said, go and do something. Go and make other disciples, other followers of Jesus. Don't be complacent, but go and do it. He also gives us a future visual of what the church actually is going to look like. He says in Revelation chapter uh, 7, verse 9, I'll read it. He says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, when we lose focus of our goal, when we lose focus of what we're aiming for, the church becomes irrelevant. When we lose track or focus of the future visual that Jesus has given us, that that future view of what the church should be looking like, and we don't apply that to our current reality, 
guess who loses? Everyone, society loses because there is no longer a moral center. Losing. In those situations when we, when we become divided, when we become divisive, we become ruled by our own self-interest. We become uh, narcissistic. We become rude and partisan. And either this sounded familiar. We become full of hostility. Who wants to be on a team like that? I sure don't. There was an article written April 16th in, uh, on the website 538.com. And it's titled, uh, not, It's Not Just White Liberals Who Are Leaving Religion. That was the title of the article. I suggest you go ahead and read it because it's a very interesting article to show us where we are currently. Uh, they quoted some Gallup research in there. The most recent Gallup poll says that only 47% of Americans, that's less than half for those of you who are not on that math level, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, <laughs> I compose myself. Only 47%! of American adults say that they are members of a church, mosque, or synagogue. The big three, right? This is organized religion. Only less than half of the people in America are even following a religion? It went on to say that only 60% of those people, those Americans, are part of a congregation compared to 70% 10 years ago. Newsflash, folks, our national strategy of partisan church is not working. It never has worked. Talk about sports, to lighten it up a little bit. Disjointed sports teams may win a game here and there, right? But they will never win a championship. A great example of this is right here in our own backyard. The Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> I, know, I know you got the shirt on. Uh. <laughs> he's showing it. Oh, he's zipping it up. <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't, don't bail out on him now. But listen, the there's a difference between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. These are our two professional basketball teams right here in our backyard. You see, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the men's team, have always experienced turmoil, always experienced disunity, always experienced a, a distrust amongst its members. And they've never really accomplished much. I think they got to playoffs once. I'm going to have to become a Timberwolves fan so I can talk about them. I'm working on it. My, look, look, look. My wife bought me this. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I'm trying. I'm going to cheer them on. But the Lynx. Ah, the Lynx. The women's team. They have soared to be one of the best WNBA teams in history. They've combined a, 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 an awesome leadership team over the years who had the aim or the goal, they had one goal, win a championship. To collect a group of women together who wants to, or who has the same mind to bring their diverse gifts together in order to accomplish one goal, championship. 
And guess what? They have four. They have four. They have the most championships of any WNBA team in the history of the WNBA. Why? Why are they so different from the Minnesota Timberwolves? It's because they have unity of purpose at every level of the organization. While on earth, our Lord Jesus prayed a whole lot. One of his most significant prayers to me is found in John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, I suggest you read the whole thing when you get a chance. But this is such a deep prayer where Jesus is praying for his disciples. In John chapter 17, he, he says this in verse number 20. He says, I pray not for these. I, I, not, I pray not only for these. He's talking about his disciples. He's praying for his original 12. But also for those who believe in me through their word. Who are they? That's us. That's everybody who follows Jesus after them. Because their witness, we have the truth today. So Jesus is praying for us right here. Watch what he says. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is that believers, Christians, the church, you and I, we uh, have one unified goal, and that's to be unified. He wants to reveal to the world that he is real through us. He wants to show the world that he is real, that the Father sent him, that the Father loves all humanity, but through our unity. Guess what, y'all? Unity brings credibility to Christianity. Let me say it one more time. Unity brings credibility to Christianity. Everyone wants to be on a winning team, don't they? How many losers do we have? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Nobody wants to be a loser. Nobody wants to admit to be a loser. We all want to win. Well, what can we do to win some more games? What, what can we do to progress our team? What can we do to unify our team so that we can win? Well, I'm going to tell you. And it's found in Luke chapter 24. So today we are concluding our series called Defeat Impossible. Defeat Impossible, where we've been talking about the resurrection story of Jesus through the lens of Luke in his, in his last chapter, chapter 24. And today we're going to be in that chapter starting at verse number 32. So there are three things that we're going to find in this text that's going to help us to move forward in unity today. Not tomorrow, not next week. These are things that we can do right now to further unify this bond that we have as Christian community. The first thing is to participate in community. Y'all remember last week? Last week's message was called uh, 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 Dealing with Doubt. If you missed it, go online to uh, mercyvineyard.org, click on the button, you can watch it on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio right there on the website. But in that message, we talked about Jesus appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And on that road, Jesus is explaining the scriptures to them. He, he, he's talking to them, they, they get, and they don't recognize it's him. They get to their house. They invite Jesus in. Hey, man, it's getting late. Have some meal. Have a meal with us. He goes in. They actually have communion. Their eyes open. Oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. So that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse number 32. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together. Now, I don't want us to read past this too quick because this is an important uh, piece right here. You see, Jesus, uh, these followers of Jesus... They now believe in the resurrected Jesus because they have an experience with the resurrected Jesus. But they run to tell the 11, his original disciples, the ones that remain, because they haven't had this experience yet. As a matter of fact, these 11 are in doubt at this time. These 11 are in a place of disbelief. These 11 are in a place where they ran and hid because their Lord had been captured, had been executed, and they thought they were next. These 11 who weren't at a place in their spiritual journey where they felt like they could believe in a resurrection. No, they just killed him. But they... Regardless of belief, one believed, one didn't. They decided to gather together in community. Have you ever thought about gathering together in community with someone who's not at the same belief level as you? Have you ever considered gathering together in community with people who don't believe what you believe? It's actually what Jesus, that's all he did. They, they accused him of being a drunk and a glutton and all that other kind of stuff because he was hanging out at the club. It's like, Jesus, you come home smelling like smoke. Where you been at? He said, I'm on here saving people. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> we all need community support, no matter where we are in our, on our spiritual journey. We all need someone. God did not make us to be alone. He made us for community, for each other. And that support connection can drive us deeper into a relationship with Jesus. No matter how far apart we are. Watch this. When I was in college, and this is undergrad, so this is many, many moons ago, I made a friend with one of, one of my, uh, uh, in, he was an engineering major, and um, he was a Muslim, and he grew up Muslim. His family's Muslim, so it was no, uh, no changing, changing that too easily. Uh, and so we got to know each other, and here it is decades later, and every time, we still keep in touch, every time he texts me or calls me, guess who's the one bringing up Jesus or the Bible? It's not me. You see, our relationship with folks over time can produce results, can impact someone's life for their benefit and for ours. But we need to be unified. We need to work together in community because great things can come out of that. We exist for each other. But you know somebody else who needs to see the church 
unified. The unbelievers, the unchurched, the dechurched, those who are distanced from Jesus, those not connected with Jesus, right? People make their decisions on whether they're going to follow a person or an organization or not based on the external appearance. People judge books by their cover. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, I sure don't. I, I, I get to know everybody before I judge. Please. <laughs> Come up and get prayer after the service. <laughs> we all judge by books by their cover. And people judge the church by what we look like in the media, what we look like on TV, what we look like when we go out to a restaurant and have a conversation, what we look like when we leave this place. How are you representing your king? The Minnesota Lynx invested in a winning team by investing in diversity, by investing in community, and by investing in one common goal. Win a championship. And now everybody wants to be on the Minnesota Lynx bandwagon. They have the second highest average attendance rate of any NBA team in the league. Only second to the L.A. Sparks. Because everybody wants to be a part of a winner. Nobody wants to be a loser. Another action that we can take uh, today to move forward in unity is to understand the scriptures. Read uh, verse number 44. It says, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? One of the challenges I see uh, uh, in our culture today is that uh, we uh, collectively, as, as a large number, I'm not pointing anybody out, I don't know you like that yet, but we collectively as a culture don't read. And we certainly don't read for ourselves. We love to listen to our favorite entertainers, I mean preachers, to tell us what the Bible has to say. Tell me the Bible because I don't want to decipher it for myself. Look, look, there may be a lot of shame in that and I'm not here to make fun of anybody. If you have trouble reading, that's fine. That's fine. I would ask you to get some help in literacy, but also download the Bible app. You could just push play and listen to the Bible read to you. You can go to the website, Bible.com, and push play and let it read it back to you. It's when we invest or get into the Bible for ourselves that Jesus will meet us there. He will meet us in the Scriptures. He will illuminate our minds in the Scriptures when we dig into it for ourselves and not just rely on the regurgitation of somebody else. Ooh, that was nasty. I apologize if you haven't had breakfast yet. But he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We need to invite Jesus in to open our minds to understand the scriptures the way that he, inter he, that he wrote them, that he uh, wants them interpreted, and not our way of inserting our bias into the scriptures. When we allow Jesus to step in and open up our minds, here's what we do. We lay down our biased, self-serving interpretations of Scripture. And when we lay that down, we pick up a biblical worldview. 
A biblical worldview helps us in a few different ways. One, it helps us to understand that all people are human and have the stamp of God on their soul. One of the reasons we have disunity is because we don't look at everybody as human. It's a us versus them. When scripture is, no, it's only us. There are no thems. Every human being is your brother or your sister. Okay? I don't care what color they are, what side of the tracks they were born on, what socioeconomic status they are, whatever. I don't care if y'all on two different political parties. <gasps> you mean that party is not evil? Nope. You mean them over there? I got to be nice to them? Yep. You got to do more than be nice. You got to love them. Lord, have mercy. We sweating now. A biblical worldview informs us that we are all brothers and sisters. And we need to have the courage to stand on that ground. That all humans are created in the image of God. That all humans have intelligence. That all humans are worthy of life. That no human ever should have to uh, uh, ask for another human's permission to breathe. That's an abomination to the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 is against that. God created mankind in his image after his likeness. And we need to be Christian enough to stand up when somebody doesn't treat another human that way. Do we have the courage to stand? And be united. Do we have the courage to stand for unity together? Jesus tells us one of the most important things about uh, 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 standing in unity in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. One of the most important things. He even says it's the most important thing. He says, the more important matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness are not interruptions to the gospel, folks. They are the gospel. They, are, they, they make the gospel what it is. They prove the gospel to be true. So I don't care what political side you're on. I don't care whatever. If you're against justice, you're against Jesus. We need to come together and not allow our politicians and those people who got money and those people who, who we just like and we, we like to listen to, we can't let them rule our spirituality. The biblical worldview boils down to one commandment, actually. If we get this one thing, we could be unified. If we get this one thing, we could be on point with each other. If we get this one thing, life could be so much better. And Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, if you just love God and you love each other, everything else will work out. He said, because if you just love, you've, you've, you've taken care of all the commandments. If I love you, I'm not going to hurt you. If I love you, I want to see the best for you. If I love you, I want to see you flourish. Not just see me flourish. But that's part of unity. So the last thing, and I'm getting out of here on this, that a biblical worldview orients Christians to do, um, that we can do to, today to bring unity, is to share the good news. 
This last verse, verse number 46, says, He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in, the, in his name. And to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. You. He's talking to all believers. He's talking to all of us who are followers of Jesus. We are the witnesses to this. What is a witness? A witness is one who shares what they have heard, what they have seen, or what they have experienced. See, key word in there is shared. The gospel is the good news. That God loved us so much that he gave his all to be in relationship with you and I. That's the Gary Dawkins version of John chapter 3, verse 16. But if you read it for yourself, you'll see it's pretty similar. The good news is love. God loves, God's love for humanity. Love, uh, y'all might have heard this on the Bible app, love is the glue. It's all about what you do, right? Love is important. Love is what brings about unity. So listen, speaking about unity and good news, if the news that you're listening to or watching or regurgitating brings division and divisiveness, if the news that you watch or listening to or regurgitating brings divisiveness in the culture, in the community, in the country, or in the church, you're listening to bad news. Might I make a suggestion? <laughs> Turn it off. Turn the channel. Let's leave that stuff alone because it's just, it's like a drug. It's addicting and we just fall deeper into it and we're destroying ourselves from the inside out by consuming it. I know this ain't a hoop and holler message, Tommy. <laughs> oh gosh alright so followers of Jesus we are commissioned to be his witnesses we're commissioned to share the good news we are the newscasters we're the ones who are supposed to be sharing the good news folks we got the, we got the inside scoop ah, we need to strive for unity we need to strive for unity in our families we need to strive for unity in our communities. We need to strive for unity in our country. And most of all, we need to strive for unity in our churches. Because if we can have unity in our churches, we can have unity everywhere else. We are the moral center. And if, the, if everybody looking in at us says, oh my gosh, they got a bunch of political stuff going on over there, we'll never be unified. We will never make an impact on people. So we must understand the fierce urgency of now. The world is falling further and further away from its creator. It is imperative for all of us to stand united. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he loves us so much that he wants us to share that love with the rest of the world. Because he wants everybody on his team. Unity is the most convincing tool that the Christian has in their tool belt. Unity brings credibility to Christianity. And God gets the greater glory. And he gets the bigger bang for the buck when his children come together 
My dream for mercy is this, that we will be a place that is unified, that we would impact the culture. We would impact the Twin Cities. We would make disciples and draw people closer to relationship with Jesus. So much so, we'd be so unified that everybody in the world, the, the Twin Cities, wherever, are looking in and saying, man, something going over there. Something going on over there at Mercy. Man, they must be connected to God because they got Republicans and Democrats. They got, they got black folk and Asian folk and white folk all worshiping together, singing the same song. Man, it looks like heaven over there. Worship team, y'all can come on up. In order to have that, we need to actively participate in diverse community. We need to actively, every day, ask Jesus to open our minds to understand the scriptures. And we need to actively share this good news that we have. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't be selfish. Share it with somebody else. Listen, I'll close on this. My grad school team, y'all remember them? <laughs> well, they, they, we decided that unity was the best way to move forward. We decided that unity was better than throwing one member under the bus. Despite our differences, we worked uh, together to rewrite that research. And even though we all were from different backgrounds, we brought different uh, 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 tools to the table, we brought different gifts to the table, we leveraged our differences to strengthen our team for one common goal. That was to graduate. Everybody here that's in school, cooperate to graduate. <laughs> you got to have a common goal to move forward to, to accomplish in order to be unified. So listen, God is up to something great here at Mercy. God is something up to something great here in Minneapolis. And I believe it. He wouldn't have brought me here if it wasn't true. And he's up to something great with each and every one of us. But we have to want and strive for that unity. Are you willing to strive for unity? Are you willing to be on a winning team? Are you willing to stretch wherever it takes you in order to be together with those who may be in disagreement on minor things, but on that major thing, Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to be unified on that. So Father, thank you so much for what you're about to do for where you're about to take us and for the oneness that we find in your spirit. Help us to be one like you are one. All in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless this church to be an example of what you are about to do for the Twin Cities. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.